The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Welcome again to the Tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and you picked a good day to be here. Uh, Some of you that have been on social media know why, but before we jump into the elephant in the room, uh, I want to share one quick announcement uh, with you, and that is on August 27th uh, will be our annual baptism. And uh, there's two invitations here, uh, and if you'll bear with me, those of you that already know about this or we've been announcing it, I just, we feel it's so important we want to share it with you again and again and again so you don't miss it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in God, you've asked Christ into your life, and you've never been baptized, we highly, highly encourage you to take this step of obedience. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward change. And at our church, uh, we do our best to follow God's word as we understand it. And uh, we don't see anywhere in here where there needs to be a long class. Uh, You know, if you're a new Christian, well, let's wait a couple years to see if it, you know, really sets up and takes uh, man, if you got saved on Sunday morning, uh, you're welcome uh, to get baptized on Sunday afternoon, right? So uh, we encourage you to do that. You can sign up at the Hub or you can go online, contact our office, and we would love for you uh, to be baptized and make that outward expression of what God has done in your life. And secondly, if you have been baptized in, or, or if you just consider yourself a part of our church, we encourage you to come to it. This is one of the moments in our church that is just so exciting. I think last year we baptized over 50, 50 or 54 people, and it's a huge potluck, it's a barbecue, Uh, we get to ruin Bob and Mary Wilson's lawn, uh, right, right up there in Lake Gichigumi, and they're so gracious to let us come out there, but uh, we encourage you to be there if you're able on August 27th, and and I might also add this as well, if that just, that date absolutely won't work for you, and you want to be baptized, we're not going to make you wait a whole nother year, please contact our office, and we'll make sure that that can happen. So today we're talking about an elephant in the room as we have all summer long, and I don't know why I keep drawing the short straw on some of these, but today we're going to talk about the sex elephant. So uh, I'll try to delay here, and those of you parents that didn't get that, you're a little bit nervous, you want to get your kids over to the tab kids, uh, it's not too late. Uh, But I do want to say before we jump in that uh, just in case you were wondering, this is not going to be a how-to Sunday, right? Okay? It's not going to be one of those. (laughs) But... This is a very big elephant in the room. I mean, we live in a time and in a sexually charged culture right now. It's a source of political debate. It's, it's the source of a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. There's a lot of confusion. We have culture in the world and the media that are telling us uh, uh, this is what's sexually normal. You know, we've got some churches that are afraid to talk about it at all. And at our church, we believe in God's word, and we believe God has everything we need for life and for holiness, right? And so we're going to look today at what God has to say about that. But before I want to jump into that, I just want to share by way of example, something that happened to me and my son when we were out hunting turkeys, right? 
Because I was thinking sex elephant. Oh yeah, turkey hunting. (laughs) Just go with me there for a second, right? And so we're sitting in a turkey blind, and I won't give you the whole story, but we're a little bit late. And it was my son's first time out there, and we're, you know, kind of excited, and, and, and there weren't any turkeys. And as a dad, I wanted him to have a great time, because we had our snacks, we had our, you know, we had our beef jerky, because that's the best, right? Praise God for jerky. And we got the shotgun, but there's no turkeys. I mean, there's all other manner of wildlife, but there's no turkeys. And my son wants to see a turkey, and he wants to see it, sorry, well, it's Michigan, I can say this. He wants a turkey, see a turkey get shot, right? He's excited about being a part of the hunt. But there were no turkeys. And uh, we were watching these two birds that were uh, messing around in the grass. Now, I'm not that much of a wildlife person. I can't tell you what kind of birds they were. I don't know if they were turtle doves or pheasants. or uh, I knew they weren't bald eagles, all right? <laughs> they were pigeons. I don't know what they were, but it was obvious what was going down. And these two turkeys are just kind of, or these two birds are kind of, well, you know. Right? And my son is like, um, uh, Dad, what are those birds doing? And it's just about to the end of the hunt, and I'm thinking, all right, got to redeem this time with my boy. And my wife had been on me for a while. It's time for part one of You Know What Talk. And I'm thinking, okay, this is it. This is, this, this is where part one of the talk for my nine-year-old son, Benjamin, is going to happen right here in this turkey blind. And it took me about 20, 25, 30 minutes to kind of get up the courage. What's wrong with me? You know you're the same way. Oh, I got to have the talk, right? And I'm sitting there going, why is this so awkward? And I'm just about ready to break the ice and, you know, start with, I even had the first word, well, son, you know those birds, and I was going to give them part one. When all of a sudden we heard footsteps behind us. I said, Benjamin, look over your shoulder. Looks over your shoulder. Dad, they're turkeys. And I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for turkeys. Isn't that childish? But isn't that the way some of us are? Some of us are that extreme. It's like, oh, I don't even want to talk to my son who I love and who I care about about something that's very important and it's going to be important for him. And, and, and you know who he needs to hear about it from? His dad. Sorry, that's biblical. He needs to hear about this from dad. Why is it such to be so difficult? These turkeys, literally, they're less than three feet by our little shack. And all the hens just go marching down. And then right after them came two big toms. And these toms, I can't do a great, but they were like, (laughs) big feathers, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. And you know what was on those toms' mind, don't you? As they followed those nine hens down there, you know, down in the grass, Right? They didn't know, with sex on their brains too, that death by a preacher with a 12-gauge was right behind them. (laughs) Boom! And I was just thinking, isn't that the two extremes that we find ourselves? Some of us avoid it at all costs. Don't talk, you know, just pretend it's like a necessary evil, what's happening, you know, this and that and the other. And then some of the rest of us, we're so focused on sex that it's almost like a god to us, and we have no idea it's about to kill us. By the way, it did kill a turkey. It was a good hunt. How do we find ourselves right in the middle? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to read a big passage of Scripture. 
The Bible deals very directly with this big sex elephant that's in the room. Because, as I said a couple weeks ago, sexual sin is killing us. It's absolutely killing us. And as a pastor today, I'm talking to our church and our congregation. I'm talking to us. And, and, and if you're sitting there today going, wow, he's singling me out. No, it's not me. I'm going to tell you what God says. And I'm going to do my best not to look at your faces. I'm just going to look up here. And we're just going to let the, you know, the pellets fall where they may out of the shotgun shell. Right? That's what we're going to do. Because at the end of the day, it's not how you feel or not your preference. It's what does God have to say. So in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is what God's word says. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now we're going to continue, but let me just pause right there because we see this big list of sins. And it's not just sexual sin that's listed. It listed sexual immorality, it listed adultery, and it listed those who practice homosexuality. That's like the big junk drawer of sexual sin. A lot of us, we come to the Bible and it's like, hey, what's allowed and not allowed? Because whatever it is, wherever the line is, that's where I want to go and then I want to lean as far as I can. Well, he got real clear. Sexual immorality, any sexual activity outside of covenant marriage between a man and a woman is sin. And just in case you were wondering, he goes on, that includes adultery. Well, I'm married and she's married. What's the big deal? To different people. I mean, sometimes we have to remind people of this stuff. What about homosexuality? This is the way I was made. No, I don't think so. And he, he speaks to those who, are, who practice homosexuality. But it's listed with a whole bunch of other sins. And he's very clear. He says that these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to say something very clear before we go in, because some of us are going to check out. He reminds us, but that wasn't, or that's not you, you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's clear he's speaking to Christians. I'm going to say this right now. This might offend some of you. If you're not a Christian, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. If you don't follow Jesus, if you don't believe in God, if you're, if you're not saved and washed and sanctified, this doesn't apply to you. Sorry. It doesn't. I mean, there's great principles here, but why would you? But if you're a follower of Jesus, we're about to go through the standard. And he says that if you continue in this way, if you're unrepentant, if that is the mode of your life and the direction of your life, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. He's saying your body's not designed for sexual sin. So we're going theological and logical and scientific. He's going to take us back to what the body was designed for. It says, but, it's, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. 
Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. We'll talk about more about what that means later. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? But you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. So he's very clear It's very clear, and he covers a lot of different things. And there's three things that I want to focus on as far as God's view of sex. And it's important for those of us that call ourselves Christians to not only understand this, also to believe this, and also to live this and be committed to this. Whether you're married or not married, whether you're participating in sexual sin or you're not, this is what we stand for. Number one is that sex is a gift. Sex is a gift. Wow, 9 o'clock in the morning or 9.30 in the morning, whatever, sex is a gift, and everyone's like, boo, and not a single amen, all right? We got any normal human beings in here. Sex is a gift. See, some of us have this idea that sex is a curse. Sex is not a curse. Newsflash, God invented sex. God designed sex. Sex wasn't one of these things where God's like, oh, what are they doing, right? God's not up there averting his eyes saying, well, if you must. God designed and created sex. Genesis chapter 1, he created everything. He created the world, the rocks, the trees, the plants, the animals. And then he creates man. It says, God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. So the males that he created are in his image. You're female today, you're created in his image. Both masculine and feminine characteristics are existence in God. And both masculine and feminine characteristics reflect the image of God. And he said to the male and female, you can look it up in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. There's only one way that happens. Right? There's only one way that happens. God knew what he was doing in Genesis chapter 2 when he gets even more specific about how the male and female were created. He saw the man and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so that's when he determined to make woman. And so he put the man into a deep sleep. And and then he took a rib from out of the man. And from the rib, he created the woman. And he brought the woman to the man. It was the first wedding, the first marriage. And it says, that's why a man will leave his father and mother. And get this, the two will become one flesh. That's also a reference to the sexual union in marriage. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see God designed and created sex so that we can be fruitful and multiply, so we can reproduce. But we also see in Genesis chapter 2 that God created sex for unity and fellowship. Praise God. Sex is a gift. Sex is the first wedding gift that God gave to human beings. That that unity can be expressed and that fellowship can be experienced in a deep and a powerful way between a man and his wife, between a wife and her husband. It was a gift from God. Sex is a gift. It's not a curse. It's not a necessary evil. This is important. 
Because this means Hollywood are not the sex experts. Hugh Hefner, Dr. Ruth, you know, that one QVC channel that's just constantly selling sex toys and pills and all that kind of stuff. They're not the experts either. Some guy in a white lab coat is not the expert. Even a Christian marriage person is not the expert. You know who the sex expert is? The number one is God. Because God made it and he created it. And he created it for his glory and our joy. Isn't God cool? He's a little bit edgy, isn't he? It's like, whoa, God, I didn't know about you. I, I love to tell couples that are engaged, you know, when you do pre-marriage counseling or whatever, when we come to that, you know, weekend where we're going to talk about sex and all of the weeks leading up to, I love to tell them, listen, God's not surprised. God's not up there averting his eyes. God celebrates it. God is like, well done, young man. Sorry, was that the line? You never thought about it. I'm not saying that to be crass. I'm saying that to say when a man and a woman are participating in that gift that God gave, God's happy about that. You show me a marriage where sex is happening a lot and in a pure fashion, usually you see a happy marriage. You just do. You know why? Because God made it. And it's a gift. And I know there's seasons and I know there's changes and I know there's different times. I'm not saying that to turn that into a marriage fight between those of you that are married right now. But it's important to work on that and practice a lot. It's good practice. Well done. Sex is a gift. It's not a curse. You know what else sex is not? Sex is not a right. At the same time I say that it's a gift and it's not a curse, I want to tell you something, sex is not a right. We live in a time where where people are committed to their sexual rights. Sex is not a right. Did you get that yet? Let me say it again. If you don't get anything else this morning, I need to say that. Sex is not your right. The moment a human being comes to the place where he or she thinks sex is their right, that's where all manner of sins come from. Number one is rape. If sex is my right, that means this belongs to me. I take it whenever and from whomever and however I can get it. That's rape. That's rape. It goes beyond that. If it's whomever that I want, well, if if sex is my right, what if I identify... As, uh, you know, someone that needs to have sex with underage people. You say, well, how could that ever happen? Look at where our culture is going. Sex has not only become our right, sex now has become my identity. Have you ever thought about that? How shallow is that? That sex is my identity. We have a whole group of people, and I'm not saying this in a hateful way, and, and of, above all people, they need to feel our love, church, but we have the LGBTQ, am I missing any other letters? Was there a T in there? I, I'm, I'm missing it, right? We keep adding letters. You know why we keep adding letters, and that's such a running joke in our culture? Because it was LGB, and then it was LGBT, and then it was LGBTQ, you know, because there's no depth to human depravity. And so we're being governed by how we feel. And so watch this. The sex culture, adultery, hookup culture, premarital sex, that's now been normalized. 
That's been normalized through media, through our culture. Hey, sex, it's just sex, right? And instead of seeing it as a gift, it's a right or it's my identity. And so what happens is that was normalized. Guess what's the next thing that became normalized? Homosexuality. Oh, we took a step further. So now it's, you know, a man and a man or a woman with a woman or all manner of, you know, algebraic formulas, right? That's been normalized. Well, that's as far as we're going to go. Don't even think about it for a minute. What's next will be sex with minors, pedophilia. Because we've identified sex as a right. Do you know right now there's already lobbyist group lobbying for pedophilia as normal. We've made it legal to marry, uh, 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 you know, or, or for homosexual marriage. Next will be to marry a child or even further to marry an animal. That's coming next. And you might sit here and I, I might be offending some people by, you know, by the way, in Canada, what I'm doing right now is called hate speech. But I, I'm just saying, think about this logically. We've slid this far. What's to prevent us from sliding further? And if you don't believe it, ask your grandma. Ask your great-grandparent. That's where it slides. And we've forgotten that sex is a gift. And it is not a right. It is not a curse. And it certainly is an identity. What do I mean by an identity? My identity as a Christian is in Christ. I don't lead with, Hi, I'm John and I'm a heterosexual man. And I happen to be married and I'm a pastor. No, no, why would you lead with that? You know, a little bit better would be, hi, I'm John and I'm happily married and I have these children. By the way, I'm also heterosexual. Better than that would be, hi, I'm John, I'm a child of God. That's my identity. We don't lead with our sexual identity. And I find people that lead with their identity, with their sexual right, quote unquote, That's a real shallow way to live. To start with, yeah, this is my preference. What do you think about that? Oh, by the way, I work at, uh, you know, Cherryland Electric. Here's the second thing I think it's important for us to understand. That sex is sacred. Sex is not only a gift, but sex is also sacred. What I mean by that is sex is holy. It's a divine gift. And there's something special about it. There's something supernatural about it. And that's the way God designed it. And even if you are not a Christian, we understand that sex is sacred. We understand that sex is sacred. That's written on the design of our hearts. Romans chapter 1 and 2 speaks about the fact that all of creation is without excuse. Because we can tell just by observing creation that there is a God and that he's designed us this way. Let me give you some proof, and I won't use any scripture that sex is sacred. Even people, for the most part, there's always whack job, you know, exceptions. But for the most part, even people who are not Christians, when one or the other is cheated on sexually, there is pain. Do you realize animals don't feel that? You can breed a dog with just about whatever manner of dog you want to breed them with and they don't get offended. Try that with a man and a woman in any type of a committed relationship, whether married or not. We call it cheating. Your dog doesn't. Neither do your horses or your steers. 
4-H fair people. You know what this is? It's proof that sex is sacred. It's holy. There's something supernatural that happens here. That's why in that scripture that I read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's why the consequences in verses 9 through 10 are so severe. Because it's not just a gift for you to do whatever you want with. It's a gift for you to treat in a holy manner, in a manner worthy of the giver. That's why he says, you know, just like food is sacred, just like all these other freedoms that God gives us are sacred, anyone who persists in their own way will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if, if, if you and I persist in our sexual sin, that proves that we don't believe in God, we don't want to be with God, we don't want to worship God, we don't want to glorify God. And so one of the saddest moments in life, in human history, is when God says to someone who will not say, thy will be done, he will say to us, okay, thy will be done. And so it's not that God's a big meaner up there trying to, you know, rain on your parade. Oh, that was a good one, right? He, he, he doesn't want to rain on your party. He's saying, if you don't want to do it my way, I'm a respecter of persons, you'll do it your way. But don't be sad when you don't inherit my kingdom. And it's true for sexual sin, for the sexually immoral, and for those that don't do things God's way. It's because sex is sacred. It's a sacred thing. And anyone in here who's ever been cheated on by your spouse, by your boyfriend, by your girlfriend, you know it's true. It's because there's this holy connection. It said in verse 16, that is why a man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. There's something dramatic and spectacular that happens when a man and woman engage in this beautiful gift that God made sacred and gave to them is literally the two become one flesh. One flesh. And that's literal, but it's also figurative. They're overcoming what is different between them. And it's this beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. I can't think of anything more different than me and God. He is holy. I am not. He is perfect. I am not. He is eternal and powerful. And I'm not eternal and I'm weak. But through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, I can become one flesh with God. He can overcome my differences by the blood of the Lamb. That's why, literally, I'm trying to gross you out, I'm saying, theologically, sex in marriage, covenant marriage, is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Why do you think Jesus always referred to himself as the bridegroom? Who is his bride in Scripture? the church. And so the two become one flesh. One day we will be perfectly united with God in eternity. And those that don't want to practice that now won't be. In verse 18 he says that all other sins are committed or committed outside the body. But sexual sin you also commit against your own body. What does that mean? Does that mean that sexual sin is the worst sin? No. And in fact, I want to pause right now. If you're sitting here right now this morning and you're feeling really bad because of something that you're involved in or something that someone did to you, that's not my intention. If you're feeling convicted of sin, then that's a good thing. But I don't want anyone to feel bad. But I, I want to talk about here, though, why 
there's a sacredness to sex. We need to get back to this. Is this two becoming one flesh? And this, and this sexual sin is something that it's a sin committed against your body. It's deep and profound and it's different from other sins. Anyone in here who's ever uh, been sexually abused, you know that's to be true. We still talk to people who've been devastated by something horrible that happened to them. I, I, I talked to someone last night who shared with me the reason that her man doesn't want anything to do in church. It's because he grew up in church and someone in church did something terrible to him when he was a little boy. That's why I won't step foot in church. Something sacred is violated. Sex is like a sticky note. You guys know what I mean? The ones with little post-it notes. You're not there with me yet? You notice something about a post-it note. First time you stick it, it's usually pretty sticky. And you take it off and you put it somewhere else. And you take it off and you put it somewhere else. And you take it off and you put it somewhere else. And it starts getting all that. Well, I won't go there, but every time you reattach and attach and reattach a sticky note, it loses a little bit, some of its stickiness, doesn't it? It's the same way with sexual sin. The more and more you attach and reattach and detach and reattach, it loses some of its stickiness. This is true for people with multiple partners. This is true for people with multiple marriages. It's true with people that this wasn't enough and so then they had to try this manner of depravity and there's kids here so I'll be cool but you get what I'm saying. It's perfect intention was to maintain its stickiness, its unity the way God intended. Now there's good news. Just because it's been violated doesn't mean that God can't redeem it. If you're in sexual sin, it doesn't mean God cannot redeem the situation that you're in. You are not an animal. You can overcome your addiction. You can find forgiveness. You can say sorry and find healing. There is a way to save this marriage. The next marriage can be the last one. There's a way out. But it only begins with repentance and coming back to Jesus' intention. For sexuality. Last but not least, not only is sex a gift, not only is it sacred, but sex is for marriage. Period. And it's for marriage between a man and a woman, and there are no exceptions. And there's all manner of theological gymnastics that people like to try to do with the Bible, and we just come back to the same conclusion. You can say whatever you want, you can believe whatever you want, they'll make all manner of laws out of Washington, D.C., but they're not the ones who will judge you on the final day. Sex is for marriage, that's how God intended it. And we like to think, but I'm an exception. You don't understand, I haven't found the right person yet, and I'm single, and I have needs. I come back to, you're not an animal, I'm sorry. Sex is reserved for marriage. You can live without it. It's hard to imagine for some of us. You can live without it. 
Marriage shows us the shape of the gospel. Singleness shows us the sufficiency of the gospel. And both are called to honor sex as for marriage only. It says in Hebrews uh, chapter 13 and verse 4. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. And you say, well, it's not adultery if I'm not married and and this person isn't married. Yes, it is. It's fornication. It's pre-adultery. She may or may not marry you. And some of the devastation that we've seen from sexual sin just in our community, just in our counseling sessions and in, and in the relationships, it's, it's, we act like sex is our right. We act like sex is something we can do whatever we want with. We're casual about it. We say, well, it's just sex. What's the big deal? We forget that it's sacred. And when you take it out of its intended place, outside of the confines of what God had intended to be celebrated and for our good, for his glory and our joy, what do we see? Devastation. And the Bible's clear. If we persist in our own way, there will be judgment. Some of us have already felt the consequences of God's wrath in our lifetime. Right? Like like Romans chapter 1 says, because of all of our different kinds of sin, not just sexual sin, but all kinds of sin, the wrath of God is coming. Well, God's wrath kind of gets meted out in stages. When you or I face the consequences of sin, that's a little bit of God's wrath. And I could list some of those that come from sexual sin. The hurt, the pain, the uh uh-oh, she's pregnant. What do I do now? It's not my baby. What's happening? Diseases, etc., etc., right? That's a little bit of God's wrath. But if we persist without repentance, scriptures that we're reading saying there will be more judgment. It says honor the marriage bed. Keep it undefiled. It's never supposed to be a dirty thing. It's a gift. It's never supposed to be something that we just do whatever we want with. It's sacred. And it's not something that we get to make up our own rules for. It's for marriage. Period. Period. And it's interesting to me that Scripture begins with a marriage And it ends with a marriage. And in the middle, Jesus speaks of himself at a bridegroom. Did you catch that? Scripture begins with a marriage. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God brings the woman to the man. He performs the first marriage. Beautiful thing. Be fruitful. Be multiply. Two of you become one flesh. It's a good thing. I celebrate that. Well done. But do you know at the end of Scripture, there's also another marriage? Revelation 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And those who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, those who've received God's love and His forgiveness by becoming a Christian, we're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the bride is the church. And the bridegroom is Jesus. And in that moment, the two will become one flesh. Heaven's a honeymoon. Y'all, are you with me? That's the intention. And the differences will be be overcome. 
Logically, that's why homosexual marriage is unbiblical. Because the two aren't becoming one flesh. They're already the same flesh. In some sense, it's almost the height of narcissism. Narcissism. Because instead of loving what's different from me, I have to love what's the same about me. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not... I'm only speaking to Christians today. We're called to glorify God with our bodies. In verse 20, the last verse that I read there, says something very important for Christians. Don't miss anything else. Or, I mean, if you miss everything else, don't miss this one either. Ready? You, if you're Christian, you were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. You were bought with a price. What was the price? Jesus' broken body and His shed blood. Honor God with your body. Honor God with your eyes. Honor God with your speech. Honor God with what you listen to. Honor God in the activity that you engage in. You were bought with a price, Christian. You know what that means? It means you're not your own. That means He owns you. He owns me. Sex belongs to him. It was a gift and it's sacred and it's in marriage, but it's his. It's his. It's not yours. Hands off. You were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. We're to glorify God. So the question becomes who will we glorify? Who are you going to glorify? We're going to sing another song. The band's going to be coming. So if you just, I don't know, maybe bow your heads for a second. I want to speak to you just for a few minutes. First of all, if you're not a Christian, we always invite you to become one. And hopefully today, somehow you've been inspired that, wow, I didn't know God was for sex. And God is for sex in its proper context. And we invite you to become a Christian. But I realize that on a day like today, I'm primarily speaking to Christians. And so to you, Christian, I would ask this question, who will you glorify? Will you choose to glorify yourself or will you choose to glorify God? Specifically in the context of sexuality. And so I would just say right now, if if right now you're engaged in any manner of sexual immorality, is there a commitment that you need to make is there some sort of repentance that needs to take place in your life and that's simply make or making a decision i'm going to turn from that and i'm going to do this instead there may be people in here right now that are actively engaged in an affair and that sin and your sin will find you out either here or there there are people in this room right now that you're addicted to pornography Men or women, helplessly addicted to pornography. And you think you're the only one, and you're not. The enemy right now is probably telling some of you, no, you're not one of the addicts. You can quit whenever you want. Try it for a day. Try it for a week. Try it for a month. You are in the clutches of the enemy. He's got you. He's defiling you. But Jesus can set you free. We're more than willing to help you. There's people in this room right now that are same-sex attracted. 
and you're hiding it or you're afraid of it or maybe you're not or there's people in this room that you're actively engaged in homosexuality. That's not God's design. And whether you're Christian or not, we love you, but there's also hope and redemption and healing for you. You are not your sexual identity. You are an image bearer made to be a child of God. There's some people in this room that you've seen sex as a curse. And it's killing your marriage. And there's hope and there's help for you as well. And it all comes down to this question. In this area, who will I glorify? Will I glorify myself or am I going to glorify God? Am I going to glorify for how I feel or am I going to glorify God? There's people in this room that you're still suffering because of the sexual wounds that someone committed against you. Well, there's hope and there's healing and there's redemption. But it starts with giving it to God. It continues with choosing to repent, to turn from sin and turn to God. It might continue after that by getting help, by talking to someone, talking to a pastor, calling the church, making a counseling appointment. And what you find is when the light of God's love gets shined into dark places, people get set free. The darkness always flees from the light. Lord Jesus, I pray today that men and women and students, children even, would make a move today. That we would move from dark to light. We would move from impurity to purity. That we would receive this sacred gift from you with joy and we would put it in its proper context. That you would set us free as a church. That we would choose to glorify you, to celebrate you, to be grateful to you for what you've given us. God, where forgiveness needs to take place between us, I pray that that would quickly be given. God, I have just a feeling right now that some people, even this afternoon, may confess sin to one another. God, I pray that even through the hurt and the pain, sometimes the shock, that men and women would forgive each other so healing can take place. Because the enemy wants to keep us quiet. The enemy wants to keep us in fear and in darkness and in shame. But when we come and lay ourselves at your feet in worship, God, we find joy and we find freedom. So God, I thank you for sex. A beautiful part of your design. Help us to treat it with the sacredness it deserves. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Church, if you agree, say amen. No matter what God said to you today, don't be afraid. Make the move. Do something with it.